Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. There we go. Good to see y'all. A little uh, worship, if you're going to that. Um, you can be dismissed now. Uh, Good to see you all again. My name's Roe Taylor. Um, I work with a ministry, a college ministry called RUF. It's our denominational ministry um, at Delta State, just down the road. Let me fix this real quick. Here we go. Um, and we're going to be looking in Ephesians chapter... It has in your bulletin uh, chapter 2, but we're really just going to be kind of focusing on a few verses in Ephesians chapter 3. And while I'm getting set up and sitting there and um, finding my spot, um, I picked this passage because, in, man, in a small way, in some way, this is kind of a, a little bit of an update of, I wanted to give you a, a taste of kind of what we do at RUF and uh, specifically at RUF Delta State. Um, if you were to be there on a Tuesday night, we meet at 737, which you know, gets a lot of questions of why 737, and it's because students ask the question, why 737, and <laughs> typically remember it. Um, but our uh, young lady who does our announcements, um, uh, her name is Chanel, and she gets, our, she gets up and does our announcements, and she says, welcome to RUF, where we want to be about the three C's, three C's, Christ, community, and cross-cultural love. And we do that because Delta State, um, if if any of you are familiar with it, I know, you know, being so close, many of you are, uh, but Delta State is a very diverse campus, um, kind of surprisingly so in the state of Mississippi. It's about 55% white, uh, about 40% African-American, and about 5%, the majority of the rest of the 5% is um, international students. And so we, we say that each week, and I was, as, as Gary read, um, wherever you went, um, Gary read Galatians 2, oh, there you go. <laughs> um, and mentioned this, you know, I was thinking about it in my mind, and it made me realize, you know, the, probably the three greatest um, sections of Scripture in the New Testament on justification are either preceded by an example of the fact that Jesus' church is cross-cultural in nature. You know, the passage that Gary read, Galatians 2, it was a, an incident where Peter um, went away from his view that that Jesus' bride, his church, is cross-cultural and kind of snuck back into the Jewish version of the church, that it was monoculture. Um, Ephesians 2, right before this passage that we're about to read, is that great, um, those great verses, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, it's the gift of Christ. Um, and then he launches into what we're about to read. And so I share this, uh, pick this passage, share this of like, hey, this is, this is a kingly passage of what God is wanting His, His church to be about, and what He's wanting us to do, and it's preceded and bookended by this beautiful picture of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Um, so we're going to read this, uh, starting in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 13, but we're really, as I mentioned earlier, really just going to focus on a few verses in um, chapter 3. 
minds. This is God's Word. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down His flesh, broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the saints, or excuse me, by the Spirit. Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Amen. That's the Lord's word for us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for even just a moment to to be still before you. Thank you for your word that you've given to us. Thank you for your word made flesh in Jesus. We thank you for your spirit. So, Lord, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we um, consider this passage. Lord, we, as natural people, people cannot understand spiritual things, and so we need your Spirit. Lord, um, I pray that you would be with us this morning. Point us to your truth and grace. Lord, whether we're here believing, questioning, doubting, searching, Um, I pray that you would meet us by your Spirit. Point us to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, In a few weeks, April 4th to be exact, um, is the anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King's assassination in Memphis in front of the, on the porch of Lorraine Motel. 
Dr. King is, is recognized by many today to be a hero, um, um, even some, by some who never actually publicly confessed or repented for the attacks on him. But uh, every day, you know, MLK Day, the third Monday in January, there's a lot of things posted on social medias and quotes and things like that. And um, probably his most famous and most well-known is his I Have a Dream speech, right? I Have a Dream um, that one day little black and white children, boys and girls, will play together, that people will be joined, uh, excuse me, judged by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. Um, there's a lot, he's a very wise man who uh, uh, unfortunately was killed way too young, um, died way too young. But he had several other things that he said that, you know, don't get mentioned as, as much. And one thing that doesn't get mentioned a lot of times, you know, we, it's, it's hard to think back, especially, you know, for those of us who weren't alive then. <laughs> um, but to realize, like, hey, that, that vision he had, that dream he had, is actually what got him assassinated. Um, he died because, he was murdered because of this vision, a vision that he as a pastor, first and foremost, got from Scripture, a vision of what uh, this new society, of what, uh, what the world should be like. Um, his vision came from Scripture. So this morning, we're going to look at Ephesians 3, really just focus, focusing in on verses 6 through 10. Um, the rest of that was read for context. Um, about what the Bible says about that vision, about that dream. Um, so two things, uh, the mystery of the gospel and the manifold wisdom of God. All right, so the first thing, the mystery of the gospel. What is this mystery of the gospel? In many ways, this is the main point, main idea of this book. Um, many scholars, um, including, I'm going to quote a lot of, from John Stott, who's probably one of the most foremost Bible scholars of the last 100 years, um, say that this, the mystery, uh, is the main point of the book. So what is this mystery of the gospel? So before we consider that, we need to make clear what the Apostle Paul means mystery here, right? Um, you know, I hear that and I think, like, my first thought either goes towards magic, which is not what he means, or like murder mystery, like some good old Agatha Christie, or like murder she wrote, Angela Lansbury, something clue, something like that. But that's not what Paul means when he uses it. He means something. When he says mystery, he means something that has not yet been revealed, that has not yet been made known fully and clearly. Um, he doesn't mean some deep, dark magic, but something that is yet unknown. And that's what he says here in verses, uh, well, several times actually in chapter 3, um, that it wasn't revealed as clearly to the Old Testament prophets as it is now that we have Jesus. And as Lewis read earlier, it actually was revealed, right? That Abraham was called to be a blessing to the nations, not just the, Gen uh, the Jews, excuse me, the Israelites. But it was a blessing. He was to be a blessing to the nations. So it was revealed, but it's even clearer now in light of Jesus. All right, so what is the mystery of the gospel? Um, in Paul's terms, it's verse 6 that Jews and Gentiles share together in the grace of God. They are co-heirs with Jesus, period. The Jews and Gentiles, once two very separate and divided peoples. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul uses the language, the dividing wall of hostility. <laughs> Can't get much more divided than that, right? 
Um, that was probably the largest and still probably is the largest distinction um, in human history, maybe even the most hostile um, as well. But now God, it says, has made them one. So that's it, right? That's the mystery. Well, not quite, because Paul actually does something really uh, insightful that, that John Stott pointed out in this. I was a math major in college. I don't think I learned anything about grammar until I went to seminary and had to learn like Greek and Hebrew grammar. <laughs> uh, but, but Stott points out something uh, really beautiful in this, and some of you grammar Englishy people might get this more readily. But he points out that in the like original construction of this, these verses, that Paul uses mystery and gospel interchangeably. That the mystery is the gospel. The gospel is the mystery. Um, saying that they are equal. And so what does this mean? Practically speaking, this means that, that the unity that happens here, um, where the unity that happens where there used to be division is a gospel issue, is a first and foremost gospel issue, like the passage in Galatians 2 when, when Paul said, when I saw that Peter's conduct was out of line with the truth of the gospel, I had to confront him out of line with the truth of the gospel. This is a gospel issue. This is not a political issue, as a lot of people might want us to believe. Um, this is a gospel issue, and what Paul is talking about here is literally ethnic or even racial um, division, that we cannot hate, as the Jews and Gentiles did, like we cannot hate people of a different ethnicity and race, right? That's Christianity 101. But it wasn't as obvious then as, as maybe we see it now. Um, you know, there are still people, you know, on the <laughs> either extreme that will hate someone of a different race or ethnicity, right? That those people exist. I don't want to not deny that. Um, but what did Peter do, or excuse me, what did Paul do? What did Peter do that made Paul speak up? He wasn't spouting hate. He wasn't trying to kill anyone. He just quietly and subtly picked up his lunch tray and sat with people who he thought were more clean. And Paul said to Peter, that is out of accord with the truth of the gospel. This is a gospel issue. Um, I think what you know, that's pointing us to, and, and just in general in our lives as Christians, pointing us to a thoughtfulness. Um, and, and empathy, um, a knowledge of culture. You know, I was thinking about it this morning. Um, Emmett Till would only be 81 years old. He'd be 81 years old today um, if he hadn't been kidnapped and murdered. This is, this is recent history, right? This is recent history and also local history um, here in the Delta. Um, maybe he would have, a couple of years ago, his cousin came to Delta State to, to talk about that night. His cousin, who was in the bed next to him um, when he was kidnapped, came and talked about that. His name is Mose Wright, and maybe Emmett Dill would have grown up to be a pastor like his cousin. Um, we look back today at his murder and, and rightfully call it a heinous crime. Um, but in that 1955 court case, it only took 67 minutes for the jury to say that J.W. Milam and Roy Bryant did nothing wrong. Um, in South Mississippi, Ellisville, Mississippi, back in the 30s, 
1930s, there was going to be a public lynching with the plans being more like a tailgate party than it was uh, anything else. And a local pastor went out there not to stop it, not to stand up to the injustice and evil of it all, but to plead with them to use discretion. Um, I don't say any of these things or use, even use those examples to try to make anyone angry or upset, but there is history here, right? We live in a context. We live um, in a certain place in history and uh, a certain geography as well, and we need to learn it and be thoughtful and empathetic of what might it be like for someone who does not look like me to grow up in this place, um, to even confess it and repent it, and not to blow it off as just a social justice thing, but a that look at what Paul did to Peter. This is a gospel issue. It's about love of neighbor. This is a gospel issue of the highest sort. And for that reason, we need to know the gospel. <laughs> we need to know the gospel. Um, you know how the Department of the Treasury, this is a kind of well-worn illustration, but you know how the Department of the Treasury teaches its agents to spot counterfeit bills? They don't go through all the different kinds of ways that you can fake a, a, a dollar bill. They train them to become experts in the real thing so that when it comes to, to noticing it, they can look at it just like that and know. We, went, we were in Jackson this past weekend, and we went to, with our kids to go try to... Uh, sell some of they wanted to sell some of their Pokemon cards, and we went into this card shop. And the guy who looked at their cards was able to look at look through the cards, flip through them, and say like, "All right, these are fake. These are real. These are fake. These are without a like split second decision." How I asked him, "How are you able to do that?" And he said, "Is when you deal with these as much as I do, you know the real thing when you see it." Um, we must know the gospel. We got to know the real thing. Become experts in the real thing. All right, so the first thing, the mystery of the gospel. The mystery is the gospel, that it's one family of God, not an A team and a B team, but a Jesus team, a family of God, Father, Son, Spirit thing. There are no divisions. Second thing, the manifold wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of God, the mystery of the gospel was revealed to Paul, but also the manifold wisdom of God. Two things, and the first one kind of quick. Um, one that, uh, sorry, I forgot to write the verse number down. I was looking at the right passage. Uh, I think my eyes are getting bad looking at writing that small. All right, the plan of the mystery of, of uh, the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Um, that's what is being revealed. Um, what Paul is saying here is not only is he revealing the mystery, which is that God shows no bias or partiality, but he's actually inviting us into that as well, that we're supposed to share that good news also, that we're actually supposed to talk about this, that this is a, a gift from God, the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. This is good news. And we can say things like, hey, the white church isn't better than the black church, which isn't better than a Hispanic church, which isn't better than the Asian church, which isn't better than the African church, which isn't better than the Italian church, and so on and so forth. Um, the mystery hidden for ages in God. This is actually really, really good news. All right, the second thing. Paul says this. 
He says, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. All right, so what does that really mean? Um, and again, hat tip to John Stott. The word that gets translated manifold is a Greek word, polypoikolos, which literally means many multicolored. Um, in other words, multi-ethnic. Through the church, the many multicolored, multi-ethnic multi wisdom of God will be known. I'm not making this up. Listen to what he says about it. Um, he says, so the church is a multiracial, multicultural community. is like a beautiful tapestry. Its members come from a wide range of colorful backgrounds. No other human community resembles it. Its diversity and harmony are unique. It is God's new society, and the many-colored fellowship of the church is a reflection of the many-colored wisdom of God. You see what he's saying? The way that the church will one day be when Jesus comes back, as he says in Revelation, is exactly what's what he's saying here in Ephesians 3, that every tongue, tribe, and nation are going to be gathered around the throne worshiping King Jesus. But he's also saying that through the church… This many multicolored, multi-ethnic wisdom of God um, is to be pursued. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray, right? Uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if you were to think about this, and, um, you know, he talks about uh, before made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. If you think about this kind of in a theater-style language, um, how would that look? You know, it would look like God is the, the writer, producer, director, star, right? Um, we would be kind of co-stars, stagehands um, on the stage, not the star, but, but also getting like God invites us into that, that, that reality, right? But who's the audience? Who's the audience? Um, it says that it's the, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, that it's being made known, the multi, many multicolored wisdom of God is being made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's the angels and the saints who've gone before us, right? We don't know, like, those don't know how history is going to unfold, how it's going to happen. Um, only God the Father knows that. Um, they're looking down and watching this grand story of redemption unfolding like a play. You know, it's like watching one of those hero genres where they, the angels and, and Christians that have gone before us, the saints before us, don't know what's going to happen, but, but they're cheering on, and they're getting excited, and they're getting like goosebumps as they see, and they're cheering us on in the direction of God's manifold, many multicolored wisdom. And they're cheering you on. They're cheering us on in that direction, in the direction of cross-cultural love. You know, but how hard is it to love? Or even um, maybe sometimes hang out with someone who is, is different. And I don't mean like, you know, I like Crystal, they like Wendy's, kind of different. I mean like radically different, like huge cultural differences, background uh, and, and everything, and even language barriers. I'll be honest, I'm at my most awkward, which is, that's saying something. <laughs> I'm at my most awkward uh, when I'm hanging out with international students on campus where there's a big language barrier and cultural barriers. It's, it's not an easy thing, and I don't want you to hear me acting like it is. <laughs> um, 
it's much more comfortable to stay in our own little bubbles with our own um, kind of backgrounds and cultures and cliques and inside jokes and stories than to move out of them. But the invitation of Jesus is exactly that, to move out of them, to, to pursue his manifold wisdom, his multi-ethnic, cross-cultural, many multicolored wisdom of God here in this place. And he's doing that so that as it's through the church that this is happening, that other people will begin to look and see like, man, what's going on there? What do they have that's causing them to come together in a place um, and a time where it seems like it's much easier and Satan really wants to separate us? What is going on to make them actually come together? Um, it's hard. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's hard. Uh, and we have to make sacrifices. And God is calling us to a great task, one that we're, if we're honest, if I'm honest, we don't know exactly what to do, right? Then there's that beautiful prayer of Jehoshaphat. We don't know what to do, Lord, but our eyes are on you. If God doesn't go before us, then we can't go. If the Spirit's not in this, then we can't do it. But, but here's the thing. He has gone before us. Look at verses 11 and 12. Um, Paul writes, This was according to the, etern the mystery being revealed, the manifold wisdom of God being revealed, being proclaimed. Uh, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized, meaning that it has happened. He has gone before us is realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. The good news is that He didn't just say, hey, like, y'all go do this. I'm going to sit back here and just kind of be in my comfortable, you know, throne in heaven. He actually came down from heaven to earth and went before us and talked the talk and walked the walk. Um, during the turmoil of 2020, uh, a lot of, um, gosh, a lot happened in 2020, right? We probably each aged about five or six or ten years <laughs> during that year. Um, but the, the high-profile racial killings, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, um, a Dr. Esau McCauley, who's a uh, Reformed New Testament scholar at Wheaton College, wrote a wonderful article um, uh, around the Easter time, the title of it is this, I have only one hope for racial justice, a God who conquered death. And listen to this, this is uh, not too long of an excerpt, but just listen to what he had to say. He said, we need a hope big enough to overcome death itself. The resurrection then is not a mere sign. It is a hermeneutical key that unlocks the mystery of God's purposes. It is the power that overcomes principalities. As I survey, he's a, I failed to mention this, African-American man, grew up in uh, a poor neighborhood in Huntsville, Alabama. He says, as I survey the history of race relations in America, I see this truth in play. My ancestors knew that in order to secure their freedom, slavery had to bend to the will of God and be destroyed. They knew that the Jim Crow era, despite its oppression, was not more comprehensive in its power than the resurrection. We introduced Jim and Jane Crow to a resurrection-empowered hope 
and the civil rights movement was born. Similarly, what evidence do we have that today's racial divisions can be defeated and that our societal sickness is not into death? Our answer is the same, the empty tomb and the risen Christ. The resurrection is our hope. <laughs> for all of this, that all of this, this grand vision of, of God's vision for his church, of what his kingdom is going to look like, the resurrection is our hope. And I mentioned at the beginning Dr. King um, and his dream he had for America. He's, he's not the only person who died for a dream, who died for a, a vision, Jesus' vision for his church, for his kingdom, was not just a, was not a monocultural entity, body, um, but it was made up of many, many, many cultures, ethnicities, races, multi-ethnic, multi, many multicolored. His vision, the thing that got the Pharisees and, and Romans so mad um, was this, his vision that the mystery is the gospel, the gospel is the mystery, that we're all on the same team. It is a multicultural, multi-ethnic vision of his church that one day around the throne of Jesus, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation are going to be gathered together worshiping King Jesus. And he was nailed to a cross for that vision. He was nailed to a cross so that you and I might have life in him. In that vision, as part of his cross-cultural, multi-ethnic family. And that's good news. That's really good news. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace, Father, Son, Spirit, that you have brought us into your family by the work of Jesus and by the work of Jesus alone. Uh, that by your grace, we can call you Father, um, and we can call each other brothers and sisters in you. And I pray, Lord, that you would... Um, Gosh, even the things we talked about and, and that are contained in your word are hard um, and break us out of our comfortable uh, lives and even the, the idols that we may have in our heart of comfort. And so, Lord, I pray that you would empower us and give us the courage and strength and grace and love to move out into this way, to the way that you have gone before us and you invite us to follow you in, Jesus. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.